0: I'm Chris Cash, and for this episode of the China Research Group's Talks on China podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Ananya Kumar. Ananya is the Assistant Director of Digital Currencies at the Atlantic Council's Geoeconomic Center. She manages the center's work on the future of money and coordinates research on central bank digital currencies, stable coins, cryptocurrencies, and other digital assets. In March, Ananya authored a piece titled A Report Card on China's Central Bank's Digital Currency, which looked at the progress of the People's Bank of China in successfully rolling out digital renminbi or digital yuan or DCNY or ECNY. Maybe Ananya and I can um, settle on a, a name once and for all. Um, during this podcast. Um, There's been a lot of hype around the the Digital UN since it was announced in 2017, uh, which has naturally precipitated the proliferation of a number of myths that analysts such as Ananya have been um, working hard to to debunk with with hard data. Ananya, it's great to have you on today. Let's start with a, a simple opener, as we sort of tend to do on this podcast, what is the the digital UN and what plans does the Chinese government have for it?
1: Thank you, Chris. And thank you for that generous introduction. And a big thank you for the China Research Group for spotlighting our work and being interested in it. So the ECNY, which is what I call it, is, is a personal interest of mine why is China's central bank digital currency, and I always like to clarify for people, even those who are immersed in the digital currency world, how a, a CBDC or central bank digital currency is different from a cryptocurrency or a stable coin. Um, so CBDC is fiat money in virtual form. So just like normal currency, a dollar or pound or euro, it acts like a unit of account, store of value, and medium of exchange at the same time. Um, specifically, the ECMY is China's domestic retail currency, which means that it can be used in transactions domestically for daily items like buying a sandwich um, in China. That would be a dumpling or um, buying a, a coke and things like that um, and just like fiat money a, a central bank digital currency is a liability of the central bank in this case the people's bank of china china in many ways has been involved in creating the ECMY for about eight years now um in 2017 is where we get a clarification and this confusion about taxonomy i think comes from there too In 2017, as a part of sort of a movement toward digital transformation, China launched the DCEP program, which is uh, the Digital Currency Electronic Payments Program, which then later um, was named ECNY around 2021. And in April 2020, China became the world's largest and the world's first major economy to pilot a digital currency. Um, and the pilot stage is where a country is testing out the functionality of a, a central bank digital currency. They want to test out how a wallet works, how scalable it is, um, how can um, they improve the functionality of the wallet, basically, in the token. So in 2020, China pilots the digital currency in four cities. Um, allowing commercial banks to run internal tests, uh, which included uh, conversions between cash and digital money, uh, checking account balances and making payments. Um, In August, 2020, the pilot expanded to 28 major cities in 10 regions. uh, And then in February, 2022, which is this year, uh, the pilot has been operational in 11 regions which includes the Olympic Games venues in Beijing as well
0: That's all very useful background and um, <laughs> there's a lot of a lot to get into there and some um, more acronyms which which we love um, when working with China but um, you mentioned this trial at the the Winter Olympics in in February this year and um, the Olympics sort of Get uh, gathered a lot of press for for various reasons, um, you know, around zero COVID and um, the the Putin Sea talks. But but this was also a sort of key feature this trial. So, um, could could you maybe elaborate on why this piloting at the Winter Olympics w- was so important? I and mean, you analyzed it in your article. And how did it go? How, how successful was this?
1: Sure. So before the Olympics is when we have concrete numbers from People's Bank of China on how many people. We're using these pilots in the 10 regions it was introduced to in late 2021 and those numbers are about 130 million total accounts, Um, according to sort of uh, non PBOC numbers there's about 260 million individual accounts after the Olympics and. this kind of achieved the goal that the uh, PBOC started out with the Olympics, which was that it was going to use the Olympics as a promotional event to increase adoption of its digital currency. Uh, when you introduce a CBDC, you run into a challenge as a policymaker designing a CBDC, uh, which is that you have to convince people to use fiat currency in its digital form and convince people to see the advantages of this currency, and. Central bankers aren't used to um, advertising campaigns of their fiat currency. They've never had to convince anyone to use cash. The Olympic Games was designed as a promotional event where the ECMY uh, was the only uh, digital payment that you could use in addition to Visa. And after the Olympic Games, uh, uptake was huge, about 260 million accounts. That's double in four months. Um, but what we've seen and we've done the math is that these accounts aren't really holding as much money um it's about four mnb each which is or four dollars each uh, so while people have opened accounts they haven't really fully seen the potential of the ecmy and aren't really fully convinced as to uh where to use it but yeah the olympics was a big promotional event um for for the pboc um and like i said before the pilot phase, which is where China is in, offers opportunities for testing the system. Um, so the main goal of the pilot program was to see if China can build redundancy in its payment systems, which are um, sort of uh, completely dominated by two private, quote unquote, private players, Alipay and WeChat. Um, it was, China was also able to test scalability and how foreigners are going to use uh, the ECMY within its jurisdiction, for example. It, to, to give you a sort of a sample of where China's technical development is at this point, um, uh, transactions per second is a measurement that people use to see the functionality of the ECMY and see where where, uh, how it compares to existing payment systems, for example. And currently the ECMY is at 10,000 transactions per second, uh, with the potential to reach about 300,000 transactions per second. Um, That does sound like a lot, uh, but when we compare it to Project Hamilton, which is uh, the American experiment of a CBDC, uh, it is between 170,000 transactions per second to 1.1 million transactions per second. Uh, a more fairer comparison, I think, is between Alipay and WeChat, which already handle a lot of scale, especially during sort of big um, uh, consumer events in China. And they handle anywhere between 550 transactions per second to 600,000 transactions per second. So comparatively, the ECMY is doing um, less well. People aren't really seeing a lot of advantages to this. So adoption is a real hurdle that the PBOC is going to have to cross.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting that you mention um these commercial digital payment providers that have become so deeply embedded to in China, right? Anyone who's, who's spending any time there will, will know that you know WeChat or Alipay have really been your, your only option. So it's interesting that you compare the sort of functionality and, and uptake between those providers to the um the ECNY. Um but but just from a sort of government perspective, do you then see the ECNY as the government's attempt to sort of dislodge the centrality of these companies payment systems? um, And, you know, part of that, that general movement we've seen over the last year to, to wrestle back control of the tech sector, more broadly, I think there's been this sort of long held concern that, they call it the one-of-two payment structure in, in China, right, in which merchants are forced to choose between Alipay and, and WeChat. Um, the government's concerned that that's fundamentally uncompetitive and at worst exploitative. Do you see that as a sort of central motivation but behind the, the the rollout of the ECNY?
1: Yeah, I mean, of course. I see that as one of the central motivations behind the rollout of the ECNY. And like you say, um, there is a real recognition within PBOC of um, the amount, the volume, but the volume and the amount of access that Alipay and WePay have, um, I think they cover over 95% of China and in total have over 900 million accounts. Um, that's more than pop the populations of a lot of countries. Um, and, um, and, and, and as you know, there's been a movement to curb, uh, their access to markets and curb their, um, uh, curb all of this excess profitability, in the PBOC's words. Um, so yeah, they do see the ECMY as direct competition to Alipay and WeChat. That said, uh, I do think the PBOC is being pragmatic about it because they are introducing, um, they're introducing uh, your ability to use the ECMY within the Alipay and WeChat wallet in addition to having an ECNY wallet provided by the central bank. And we often think about redundancy in payment system is uh, not a bad thing, right? Because what if one of your two major payment systems was hacked or attacked? Um, It would really affect the operations, payment operations for a large portion of your populations, and um, it would affect your national security. So, um, these are sort of the concerns that they have and when they introduce uh, ECMY. There's also a concern in, um, and this comes from the more blockchain community and crypto community, but there is an additional concern that brick and mortar banks and traditional payments institutions have left out some people from um, the financial architecture of a country. And uh, central bank digital currency being a public good can offer uh, something to them um, at low cost um, that a private bank or um, a private payment system doesn't really have an incentive to do. So uh, that's another part
0: of it as well. (laughs) Again, lots of really interesting stuff in there. The national security angle um, is something that I personally hadn't thought of and haven't seen much discussion of. So, So that's fascinating. And then just on your last point then, and that sort of shift to providing banking options um, at a local level for, for local populations moves us sort of nicely onto, I guess, some of the concerns about the, the ECNY that are being put forward and um, on a domestic level in China. Do, do you think we could see this sort of hasty launch of the ECNY maybe destabilize China's banking system as it, it exists today? um I'm thinking about local banks with, with troubled balance sheets, for example, having customers withdraw their money en masse, right, to, to store funds in their, their digital wallets. Do you see that as being a potential issue?
1: China doesn't really have any plans of launching this currency anytime soon, at least none that we know of. Um, they want to test out every possible functionality, it seems, before they do a full launch. So they're full aware of sort of destabilizing risks that a uh, launch would carry. There are sort of design alternatives, to how you address destabilizing the economy. And central banks are thinking about it very deeply, including China. So most CBDCs, including the ECMY, have caps on balances and don't really let you earn interest um, on, on your ECMY holdings, making it less um, a less all, uh, attractive alternative to cash, basically. Um, And this is all to prevent any kind of run on uh, banks, which would affect your deposit and lending abilities as a bank. And Wenmu Chengchun, who's the head of the Digital Currency Initiative, At the PBOC came to the Atlantic Council, we asked him this question. We said, what are are your alternatives to thinking about financial destabilization uh, with the CBDC? And he said very openly that in the case of financial distress, uh, the PBOC is also prepared to charge a small fee for frequent withdrawals from ECMY, which would also prevent sort of any kind of bank runs. Um, And bank runs, and uh, Honestly, bank runs are are a problem in less financially stable economies. The other thing there is that um, China offers deposit insurance for um, low balances and balances under 500,000 RMB. So um, really the incentive for destabilizations have been reduced when it comes to introducing an ECMY. The other part of it is that uh, currently the ECMY forms, I think... um, less than 0.005% of, its, of China's M0 and uh, less than 0.002% of its M2, which means basically is that it's a very small portion of its money supply. So the impact that it could have on financial markets has actually been uh, like, try, uh, they've tried to reduce it as much as possible. Um, and that's, that's how they're tr- thinking of destabilization risks in the future.
0: Right, it wouldn't seem very in keeping with the, the way that the, the Chinese Communist Party's approach things to un, uh, unleash this um and create some, some kind of mass instability. Yeah. Um yeah. Uh, And then from a sort of data protection perspective, obviously, the ECNY potentially gives the central bank the the ability to access this incredibly rich sort of bank of data about financial um, transactions of of Chinese population, you know, data that otherwise might not sort of be captured by existing systems. And China's introduced a, a set of data protection laws over the, the last year. I'm, I'm thinking most notably the personal information protection law and cybersecurity law. I, I was just wanting to ask, how do you think this legislation impacts maybe the rollout of the UN and some of the security concerns? Do, do, do you think the ECNY could give... Sort of the Chinese government access to, to data that's generated by some of the, the commercial payment platforms like Alibaba and Tencent. You, you mentioned Mu Changchun there, um, who's the sort of czar of digital currency in, in China, as you said, and, and he sort of said that these ECNY wallets, I think, would be linked to, to users' identities. Um, and is that something that people in China seem to be worried about too?
1: Uh, I'll clarify first how this idea of uh, the trade-off between anonymity and um, protection, KYC protection, and kind of um, privacy protection works. So in an ideal world, a central bank digital currency would replicate the anonymity of cash, right? However, we need to create protections that uh, ensure that your uh, money isn't being stolen, that money isn't being laundered, that um, you're giving adequate information to ensure that your money can't be hacked or laundered in a digital payments infrastructure. Uh, so that is, that is the trade-off. And the way that China has seemed to come up with a solution for it is that they've come up with a system called managed anonymity, which offers you uh, the choice between giving more information for more balances. So, for example, if I wanted to keep five thousand ECMY in my account, I would have to give less information about myself. Um, and if I wanted to keep ten thousand, I would have to give more information about myself uh, to my wallet. That, that's sort of their their, their model of eCMY and they're saying that basically for this includes more people because even at, with lower levels of identity requirements, you can still transact. The question then is that like, what is the privacy protection that even the lowest level of linkage provides you? And Mu Chengchun often cites, like you said, the uh, data protection law and China's ability to use AI and ML and higher sort of order technologies to find money launderers and also protect your identity at the same time. This is sort of the framework that they want to use to protect privacy. Now, obviously we we don't have to take them at their word, but we don't know enough about what kinds of access this technology could provide the government in order to know what kind of payments people are making. And if this is any kind, any new kind of access that they didn't already have with existing technology, that is the question. And, and obviously, it's a question that that, like, offers a lot of opportunities for deliberation, we should think about it. But at this point, there's nothing telling us What is the new advantage of this technology over existing forms of technology and access that already exist in China? Most countries have a way of differentiating between financial information and personal information, and this is how we provide people uh, adequate levels of privacy. Um, China doesn't, uh, obviously. So on the privacy questions, I don't think we have a clear answer. We don't really know how they're going to use the data protection law to comply with AML-KYC requirements while protecting people's privacy. Um, When it comes to people's attitudes, you will know as someone who studies China, it's really hard to do public opinion research in China. However, there is one with morning consult. I don't think uh, the survey says uh, that people are concerned about privacy protection issues at all, at least not for right now. Um, but like I said, I would I would take any kind of public opinion survey on China with a little, little bit of skepticism.
0: Yeah, I know that the Chinese population with with stuff like surveillance cameras and facial recognition, there has been a, a lot of pushback. Um, but as you said, it's still with yeah. and see with this nascent legislation, I think. And yeah, it's I, I think it's some of the most it's generally agreed as some of the most advanced um, individual privacy protection in the world, but obviously there's the worry about scope for, for the state to intervene in sort of national security yeah. to case, uh, cases and um, finding out where, where they lie is, um, is problematic, I think.
1: Yeah, and it's nascent legislation along with nascent technology. So that, that's kind of the main point I was making is that we don't really know what adva- what particular advantage this technology provides over um, existing Alipay and WePay systems to the Chinese government for surveillance
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just sort of to to round off, um, to talk a little bit more perhaps about Beijing's um, ambitions from a a more geopolitical standpoint, what do you think Beijing wants to achieve with the rollout of, of its digital currency Internationally, I, I guess we, we've seen sort of cross-border payment trials through Hong Kong. I think so far, with perhaps the the aim of eventually um, releasing the ECNY in international markets. Obviously, there are sort of concerns about Beijing's stricter capital controls. But well, you know whether this would even be be possible. Um, so I, I was wondering where you think the ECNY fits into China's long-term goal of internationalizing the RMB um, and then sort of reducing dependence on on dollar-denominated transactions.
1: Sure. I always like to differentiate between domestic and international objectives when it comes to countries like China deploying this kind of technology. Um, In the domestic sphere, like we talked about, China sees this as a way of introducing more competition in its markets to improve efficiency of payments through using a DLT-based technology and for promoting um, financial inclusion. There are the ECMY is a domestic retail currency, and there's limitations to what a domestic retail currency can do internationally, because at this point, the ECMY is not interacting with the dollar system in any way. It's staying in its domestic borders. I do think that there's two efforts that come to play when it comes to uh, internationalization efforts. Like you said, China is very active in promoting its model of CBDC. And at this point, it is the most technologically developed model of CBDC. On the retail side, like you said, China is promoting ECNY in Hong Kong. There are reports that China wants to promote it in Macau and how it might deploy it, given that the casinos are coming up on their leases. And then um, on the wholesale side, there's also a lot of international testing that China is part of. And wholesale transactions refer to bank-to-bank transactions that primarily settle foreign exchange um, between large banks. Um, and China is a part of an effort called EMBridge between the BIS, Singapore, Hong Kong, um, and Thailand. And this is unique, right? Because this is actually an interaction with foreign, uh, foreign currency um, and is occurring between China and other countries without the the help of the dollar, which is how usually transactions occur. Um, And this is an important effort in internationalization cross-border wholesale payments that I don't think gets as much attention um, as as the sort of ECMY of it all. China's not using ECMY, it's developing a settlement mechanism between countries to settle using tokenization of assets instead of dollarization of assets, which is how we do it currently. I do think that the other part of this internationalization uh, and promotion that doesn't get enough attention is that China wants to internationalize its technological and policy model of CBDC, which is why you see so much talk of the ECMY. China wants people to hear about this new payment system that it has introduced that is more technologically advanced, and it wants them to use its model. It wants them to use managed anonymity. And you know, like countries are trying to look for solutions uh, as they develop their CBDC problems. And China has been able to handle some of the problems when it comes to interoperability, when it comes to offline capacity. And they're not perfect solutions to these problems. But there is a technological answer that China has been able to provide different countries when it comes to CBDC development and a CBDC model. And this is what leads to sort of greater concerns about privacy as we were talking about, which is that if more and more countries use China's model, uh, because there really is a vacuum, there's China's model, there's a few other countries, there's about 10 that have launched digital currencies, and that's it. There's not really one but Robust privacy and cybersecurity standards for them to look up to. So these are the sort of larger concerns of privacy, which is that if more and more countries try and deploy China's model, are they really creating resilient payment system? And at the end of the day, are they creating payment systems that can interact with the dollar and um, operate in the the international financial system? So that's the sort of uh, internationalization effort, I think, uh, on part of China, it's both internationalizing uh, the remedy uh, on margins, but mostly ha- uh, setting standards internationally that other people can use.
0: And just final question, Anya, and perhaps unfairly ask you to do a bit of future gazing. Um, How do you see the sort of next stage in the development of digital currencies going? I think around 86% um, of sort of 60 central banks surveyed recently are now exploring CBDCs. What should we be looking out for? And do you think that international partners could sort of agree a system of of regulation for online currencies sort of even with or without Beijing?
1: Sure. Uh, We just updated our tracker, our central bank digital currency tracker, which looks at 109 countries when they are in their development process of CBDC. Um, According to the updated numbers, we have 105 countries looking at developing CBDCs and about half of them, 50 of them are in the sort of more advanced stages of development to sort of grasp that number more firmly, I think, is is using G20 economies. Um, And and that's the sort of functionality you can use with our tracker too. So 19 of the G20 economies are looking at uh, central bank digital currency developments, and 16 of them are in the advanced stages. Now, which are the countries that are not in the advanced stages? The United States, the United Kingdom, and Mexico. These are countries that are still experimenting, researching, trying to see where they will be. Uh, where where what their path to a CBDC is going to look like? The EU is further ahead. China obviously is further ahead. India is further ahead. There's large economies that are making uh, great progress on CBDC processes. There's obviously real concerns when it comes to um, developing CBDCs. Central banks are often concerned about their monetary power, which is their monetary sovereignty, and um, They're concerned with it when it comes to private virtual currencies or uh, cryptocurrencies too. Uh, And what that means is that they're concerned that if they flourish, and if a lot of people use crypto to actually transact, it's going to affect their ability to conduct monetary policy, which is obviously very important to any country's uh, sort of economic well-being. The other concern we've already talked about, which is that uh, there could be a run on banks, which will affect their ability to lend. Um, and uh, their deposits and can cause shocks to interest rates. This is especially a problem for country w- countries with unstable financial systems. CBDCs also carry operational risks, since they are vulnerable to cyber attacks and need to be made resilient against them. Uh, They also require what is a very complex regulatory network that needs digital identity frameworks that needs privacy frameworks that needs cybersecurity frameworks, which is a lot for any legislation, especially a cumbersome legislation advanced democracies to uh, to sort of uh, think about to pass and to have a decision on at the end of the day, in terms of future looking. Uh, or sort of looking looking forward. Obviously, there's going to be more testing and developing of CBDCs. There's going to be more pilots and there's going to be new functionalities developed and new options for countries to choose from when they're looking to answer problems, so when they're looking to see, oh, how can we develop offline functionality for a CBDC? We're going to see more models pro- proliferate um, across the world. The big trend, I think, is... Uh, like I said, cross-border wholesale CBDCs. Um, Many countries are exploring alternatives to international payment systems, especially since, you know, financial sanctions on Russia. So there's currently nine cross-border wholesale CBDC tests and three cross-border retail tests obviously including the ones from China that we talked about and they pose a serious threat to the dollar because they don't use the dollar when uh for cross-border transactions. The second trend in the future that I always like to talk about is that we countries and and researchers and policymakers like to think about CBDC and silos and domestic silos very often. And this poses a lot of interoperability risks because countries are developing CBDCs that may or may not be interoperable with other CBDCs that may or may not meet the privacy standards and cybersecurity standards um, of CBDCs around the world. So this really creates a huge fragmentation in our financial system Uh, and poses a huge challenge for us. On the more positive side, it creates a sort of new urgency for financial sector standard setting. And this is where uh, you can see the United States and UK leading the way, um, and even the EU, EU with its higher privacy standards requiring countries to come together Uh, either uh, with the G20 or the FATF uh, and create AML-KYC standards, create cybersecurity standards and privacy standards that serve not just citizens, but also countries' national security interests.
0: Yeah, well, you've given us plenty of of food for thought today. Um, And yeah, it does seem that sort of cooperation and dialogue is going to be key. Um, and also, I think sort of the UK and its like-minded partners um, do have a role to play in, in setting standards. That much is clear. I will include a link to your fantastic piece uh, in the podcast notes um, and also your tracker, which I, I need to go and check out myself. I believe it's being launched tomorrow, I think. So yeah, Anani Kumar, thank you very much for appearing on the Talks on China podcast um, today.
1: Great. Thank you, Chris. And thanks for the China Research, Research Group.